Welcome, welcome, everyone. This is issue four of Krakoa Radio. I, your lovely enchanted host, Just X Henry, is here with my fellow host, Black Word. Oh, I hope you guys are feeling moist today. Table Dust is in here for the party. Let's go. <laughs> the Wind God Bonte. What's up? Your region is here. And the doctor, the, the emperor, the leader, um, DDS, Esquire, uh, co-captain. Yep. Um, table Day, representing uh, Lactuka and the seat of above us. I am still here and above us. We are here today to discuss New Mutants number 22, Hellions number 16, and we are welcoming with open arms Excalibur. What number are we doing, Excalibur? Number oh, one. Bro, you're asking a very tricky question. Uh, Excalibur 24. Excalibur 24. Yes. Excalibur 24, I knew that. I knew that. I don't me for like two seconds like and i had it right in front of me it just escaped because i think it, for me i was paying attention to the time and the issues and stuff but then the hiatus happened and then it just all kind of blurred together and then you know everyone has to know now i reread excalibur all over and that's when i fell in love with it but it's better when you just don't worry about the sequence of things and the story on a weekly basis it pops off when you just read it like a marathon um but yeah, I had always forgotten <laughs> what issue of Excalibur we are on. But, you know, issue 24. So, Stephen, do you want Blackbird, you want to take it away? Oh, yeah, always. I was always going to. Um, so, previously on Excalibur, we dealt with, you know, the overarching fact that Arthur was on his way back to ruin shit for people. Um, in this issue, Betsy Braddock goes to visit the undead and the other world's kingdom of Sevalith, where the vampires hold legion and rule and uh, rule. So Sevalith, you know, premiered a bit ago. Um, we haven't really got a chance to be here, be here, other than like half moments, but it's a place where vampires rule and they're like really distinguished, high nobility, you know, aristocratic assholes. Um, they're blue and shit, and they are very openly hostile towards mutant kind. Why they are like that, no one ever knows. I feel like it has something maybe to do with the fact that Dracula is at war with Krakoa. Or just because they're British. One or the other. They both work. Anywho, Betsy is asking them questions about who sick the bounty hunters on them last issue. And while the vampires are pretending to know what the fuck is going on, they really don't. Um, they're just saving face for the fact that someone had took control of their forces. While she's there, though, she goes and pays a visit with our favorite horseman, Death. Death has been there since the very start. He has taken over almost all the operations as kind of a regent for um, Opal. And he seems to be enjoying himself in Olo, um, but, Gant, but Betsy makes it known that if he wants to leave, say the word and she'll take him. They're doing this in the middle of what seems to be like a friendly joust. Uh, going back and forth with each other, you know, Betsy in that sexy dress with her hair pinned up and her element no longer culturally appropriating and the body of an Asian woman, um, dueling with the sword of the Citadel, the Starlight Citadel in her hands. Um, but Anubis just goes, you know, Death just goes, I'm actually chilling here, I'm good, um, this is all great. However, he does express a bit of mentality that he feels off not fighting for mutant kind while, where he's at. Um, and he does make it known that 
if Apocalypse were there, he would have preferred his son to fight on the side of Krakoa. Um, you know, Betsy is like, oh, right, you're such a good person. Um, it's so great. But she's kind of like leading him along and mentions Storm had mentioned him. And that gives Death's attention definitely because Death has drawn the hive that knows that if you hit, you, you get a little bit of Storm, you can never give her up. Every person Storm has ever stabbed has wanted her. And that's just the way it is. I think that's her other mutant power is just being sexy. Um, and so he wants a piece. Uh, he's trying to join the brother brotherhood of husbands for Storm alongside T'Challa and Forge. And I am happy to welcome him. I just need for him to die once and come back better looking. Because, you know, I'm all for pro-mutant appearances. A zombie-faced dude is not who Storm kind of, you know, should be vibing with right now. Um, but they go forward, Betsy leaves, conjures a shield to protect herself as they escort away to the Starlight Citadel. In the background, we see the campsites going on, everyone preparing for a trial the next day. We have a new addition as Longshot has now joined the Excalibur team right next to Avalanche, um, and everyone's preparing for something to come. Uh, previously, also, Gambit has been selling illegal goods uh, in Otherworld. Yeah, long shots here. That's Shadowstar. You're right. Oh, so wait a minute. It's a long star. Oh, wait. Okay, sorry. Proceed. Okay, humble me. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, as I was saying, Gambit um, was selling illegal goods and gets into an altercation with the Mad Jim Jaspers. Mad Jim is not happy. He does not enjoy anyone selling illegal stuff without permission in his marketplace. Um, and makes it known that the next time Gambit does anything, it's going to go silly. Gambit makes it be known that, you know, as a mutant, he should be siding with Krakoa and all of this. However, Mad Jim Jaspers feels that because he is rich, he will not be held to the same standards that any ordinary mutant would be. And for the first time, I want to say in the entirety of Dawn of X, we get to see a look at identity politics uh, playing out between mutants. Um, you know, this is something we can spend on a bit later, but definitely is an interesting scene that we all know is going to come back to bite Mad Jim Jasters in his ass, because we know it never works out like this. Um, we go on to the trial of the false Captain Britons, where we investigate the Captain Blanton's for three different storylines, uh, for three different timelines that occurred within a pocket dimension made by Monarch. Uh, it's a very convoluted thing that happened, but basically... Monarch made three pocket worlds where all the Excalibur team died, and whoever was left behind became the new Captain Britain. And he took those three remnants, who turned out to be Richter in one world, Gambit in another, and Rogue in one more, and also Jubilee, but Monarch killed her, and that's just kind of like leaned over, but he killed her. Um, and he pulled them into this world so that they can serve while they were trying to hunt down Betsy. They get captured, and now they're being tried for having stolen the Captain Britain's powers. And they're trying to be seen as if they will be accepted into the Captain Britain court as exists now. Um, the trial is being overseen by Opal, but before anything can go down, Merlin shows up in his tricky little robe and announces that Arthur is there to beat some ass. Uh, they're knocking on the gates. Merlin is like, it's time for mutant kind to fall. 
he chides Opal for saying that you got comfy with the mutants because, you know, they worshipped you, but you should have always have been against them from the very start because, you know, we hate mutants in Britain because we're racist. Um, the Braddock family is not with the ships, and so they square up to protect Betsy and all of mutant kind. Uh, and Arthur meets up with Betsy in a parlay to announce the fact that he's doing this so he can get his son back because he thinks that if Kokoa falls, his son can never betray him because his son, Mordred, was a mutant. He's always known that eventually his son will betray him. Uh, when Betsy tries to change his mind forcibly, he reveals that Merlin has enchanted him with an amulet to prevent such a thing. Bay the Blood Moon shows up because they went to Dryador to go see what the fuck was going down there and see if they can get any reinforcement. So Bay is there on their team. And now they have a full Dungeons and Dragons party as they prepare to go to battle against King Arthur's forces and his allies. Um, the battle breaks out. Betsy draws the sword of the Citadel. Merlin escapes. And that leads to the end of the issue. Thoughts, concerns, read shades or general observations um i will say that um uh death has um storms uh taste um apparently in that battle as the swords um storm hit um death's bottom and now he's in love and you know i will say the ugly niggas got big dick so storm might well go ahead and slide in that direction um, as a gay man who has fucked other uh, gay men in puppy masks, I don't see the death mask being so much of a stretch during sexual intercourse. So um, <laughs> I think uh, Stormy is not playing a role with a thug, role with a real nigga. Cause, you know, he ancestry black. Like, he black be black black. Like, like that's a, you know, Savannah, that's a good man. That's a good man. <laughs> that's a good man, Savannah. And, and do what you gotta do. You know, I love the issue. I welcome back to Scalibur. But, you know, Savannah, that's a good man. That's a good man, Savannah. <laughs> this is the second time that we have seen Mad Jim Jaspers in the same outfit and it not change every panel that he's in. So I, mean, I feel a little way about that. But other than that, this was a great book. You know, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Omega Level Bottom you know, on Twitter because he hates this caliber. And I just want to rub moments like this in his fucking face. Um, I'm going to ask him when this episode drops and let him know that I said something about him. And if he's angry about it, he can come see me. Um, at the same time, I, I enjoyed so many different aspects of this book because it's now leaning completely into the fact that it's a magical narrative. I like the fact that the Braddock family, like, Brian was not with the shits. He's like, my wife's a mutant. My kid might be a mutant. My brother and my sister are mutants. And this entire time, you know, I've been, you know, on the fence with some shit. I think it was important for him to lose his powers, honestly, because before he had the whole Captain America syndrome where he was like, Britain can't do anything wrong and I'm going to stand beside my country and whatever the fuck is going on with Betsy over in America ain't none of my concern. He's every bit as problematic as Captain America has always been within that hemisphere of thought. And the fact that he stood up against Arthur is very tellable to me. I fuck with that. Um, this nigga said, everybody I love is a mutant. It doesn't matter that I'm not one. I'm going to protect mm -hmm. them. You better go off, Brian. Took him years. Took him a very long time. But eventually, <laughs> he got there. You know, 
Why do y'all feel about Bay in the Blood Moon suddenly popping the fuck up? It's like they knew that, you know, there could be some complaints about this issue, but you sprinkle in one Iraqi mutant. And then you add another Iraqi mutant. They gave us two. This is the most we've gotten since X of Swords. I just like the, the one thing I will say that, like, there, there's a photo of all of them, you know, bearing their weapons, getting ready to fight. And, like, if that's going to be the Excalibur team going forward with Bay and all of them included, I'm here for it. The thing that I found really interesting was that Richter was able to communicate with Bay, but no one's been able to communicate with Bay since X of Swords. I've really never even seen Cypher communicate with her. So, yeah. so ev- everyone can communicate with Bay based on her powers, but Cypher cannot because she doesn't speak an actual language. She's like halfway telepathically impressing upon people what she's saying. She's not actually speaking. Uh, so yeah, she's she a, has a really she's hmm? a level meeting. Like, what is her ability? Like, I'm not understanding because I know so, she can like, she's basically no. Black Bolt, but a mutant. A bit different. It's like a way more better than anything Black Bolt got going on. You know, fuck him. But at the same time, her power. She has. They know all the voices got weird powers. Her voice uh, is like a psychic organism, and it exists to feed a need within her to be understood. So when she speaks, it makes sure whoever is in the vicinity that can understand language will always understand her. It's not that she's speaking; she wasn't taught how to speak like a person. She was raised in the wilds, so it's just it's a really sad thing that her loneliness turns into a mutant ability. Um, but it's it's a silent screen, but it's called the Doom Note, and it's supposed to be it's a concussive blast. Sometimes there seems to be more going on with it, and then she has the silencer, which is that scythe that does other shit as well. But yeah, Cipher can't understand her is the general gist of that because she's not speaking the language, but everyone else can. Such a weird power, such a unique setup. I love her. Um, I'm really happy she was here. I'm happy to really bring up the fact that, hey, you know, Iska didn't, it's not like Iska didn't respect you, girl. It was just y'all just couldn't finish your fight. Um, I like the fact she was dueling Death. And, you know, Death was entertaining that shit because it did the double work of showing that, you know, Death held no hard feelings for losing a fight. Um, and he still won Storm. I'm I'm really definitely making this issue about Storm <laughs> uh, because it applies. I want to see more about Death and Storm together, mostly because it seems that people do not accept, accept the fact that T'Challa and Storm are non-monogamous. They date outside of each other. You know, it's just T'Challa's a simp, and so he's not, He's not, he doesn't have a game like that. He's not going to be able to pull the same weight that Oro does. Oro has a harem of niggas. You know, T'Challa only had Storm and he had Nakia for a second, but then, you know, he couldn't seal the deal um, <laughs> just because of him, himself. So that's the sad thing with T'Challa. But Storm has buku the niggas. Um, Stevie, you're 38 years old. How long are you going to keep doing this? Storm is not in an open relationship with T'Challa. They are not together. We are not going to make <laughs> First of all, this is a 26-year-old. Nubau, young, and pretty. Okay? Second of all, we all know they're together. We know they're together. Y'all might not like it. You know, you might not enjoy it. They are together. How many times does T'Challa need to run up on her? 
scoop her up and go, my God is my queen, my shining beacon, my lone star. I am nowhere without you. And you don't I, recognize I, fuckboy behavior when you see it? What's going very on? Very fuckboy. It's very fuckboy. It's fuckboy and Wakanda-ish. <laughs> I didn't say he was a good boyfriend. Just because he's, he's king and emperor of uh, Wakanda don't mean he's any less a fuckboy. He is... And Storm still he's lets like him get probably because he probably he's a corporate husband. He is a corporate husband. He 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 goes to work. He's cheating on her with work. That's the worst part of it. It wasn't like it was another woman. He loved his job more than he loved her. That's just the whole thing with that. And we can leave it there. Um <laughs> I I am also I'm here to make this Apple. happen. This is not going to happen. <laughs> I wanted to highlight the fact that Merlin is an evil son of a bitch um, even more because, you know, the English major in me is really loving the fact that he's not getting that, you know, duplicitous nature bullshit. I think after we reanalyze Charlie Xavier, we had to reanalyze the character that came before him. And Merlin is the predecessor to a Charles Xavier. This nigga is evil. He snuck into the Citadel not to do anything, but just to stunt on them. That's the whole thing was just a stunt. Hate to see it. Um, it, was, it, um, it was given very much Fantasia. If you don't want me, then no talk to me. Go ahead and free yourself. Um, it was given pretty much that. Um, Merlin is, is, is the messiest bitch in, um, in, in all of uh, uh, other world. Um, I particularly don't care for her. Um, it's given David Duke. Um, it, it's leaving a, a nasty. I don't really care for Merlin. We went all the way there to start some shit, and and then you go go and start some shit. I hope you get your ass whipped. You should have been over there in the first place. Opal will kill, kill his ass. I hope so. Yeah, I hope they, I hope they beat his ass. And the thing is, like, thing is so weird too about the like the Mordred Arthur situation is just like. You're being told that your son is going to betray you. Then you throw him in the in, in the ocean, and you wonder why he's going to betray you. Mm-hmm. It's chicken and eating. <laughs> is it? I want to say like- Arthur are anti-vaxxers, anti-mask. Um, they're unvaccinated. They cannot be trusted. We still haven't seen Morgana LeFay yet. Morgana's been free. She's been walking around like that forest for ages, just chilling. And the only person who seems like to be okay right now, like I, I kind of skipped over the whole Roma Jubilee and Shogo conversation where Jubilee was like, you know, my son is way more happier here in the other world where he can remain like A, a child, but B, he can become his potential without losing his potential and Jubilee kind of just being like yeah but he's still my baby and I don't want to let him go and I think Jubilee is being handled very perfectly here in a way that we haven't seen her being handled in a long time Uh, I want to give that shout out to Timmy Howard because you know it's really hard to make Jubilee likable outside the 90s and I may like her have liked her as a vampire um but I know a lot of people did not. And so when they reactivated her power, it's been a struggle to figure out like where the fuck does she fit in, especially because she's a mom and she's one of the only moms in the X-Men. And she's often seen with her child. It's not like she's sent it to the future so it can survive and blah, blah, blah. She's like, no, this is a human baby. 
if they kill me, they're not going to touch this cow. So I'm good. Um, but she got to sit down and go, like, look at the realities of what's going on and, like, look at the realities of the fact that her son does not enjoy being a human um, and does not enjoy losing those possibilities, especially growing up in a place surrounded by people with infinite possibilities just by being a mutant. It's It was a touching scene. I also like the fact that Roma clearly wants to fuck Jubilee. Um, and I hope you let it go. You know, I hope she doesn't pop off. Yeah, I caught that. She took her hand and went right up underneath her chin. <laughs> you know, Roma been hitting on all the lesbians. <laughs> like every single every single one that pops up has been her, has been Mirage. You know, Roma is about to play. I appreciate this girl. Um, but that's all I have. Any last questions, insights, or observations regarding Excalibur? Before we get into the finale, my only thing is that I was trying to figure out what the fuck Mordred has been up to recently, um, and I just remembered that he was in the miniseries, uh, the Black Knight miniseries, where they basically redid all of the ebony weapons that are not the sword and combined them together. Um, so, I, but he died in the in that miniseries. So I'm not sure what their purpose is in trying to come retrieve him when he's dead. So I'm confused. I think you know there's many options, especially because now they know that he was a mutant in the first place. You know, they can definitely resurrect him. Worst comes to worst. But he's also magical. So you know, whatever kind of bullshit they can get into, they will get into. I just want to see how that goes and where it goes, because that miniseries introduced a black woman, I think is who this is. Yeah, a black woman as the new Black Knight. Uh, so I wanted to see that, but I also am largely confused what they're going to do with Mordred and why. Hmm. Did they even ever mention what the fuck Mordred's power was when he was alive? Or um, The only just... thing that I ever seen is that um sorcery is his power is what's listed mm, so bullshit okay thank you right we'll so they're gonna come up with something random as fuck as his mutant power if they come up with that here's hoping something interesting but you know a lot of british people don't have cool powers they're mostly just bullshit so yeah that's been excalibur thank you for yielding me the table the table has been yielded uh so we have Hellions number 16, uh, the Wind God, Ronte. Would you like to go ahead and steal the show? I sure will. So we open up this book with the destruction of um, the cloning facility that Sinister had taken from Arcade. And Havoc goes into a rage, thanks to Empath, and blows up the entire farm. Um, Psylocke is in complete turmoil because we all know that Sinister in that same farm has a backup of her daughter. Now with the destruction of the farm, the backup's been lost. So we have Psylocke in turmoil. We have Havoc in distress. He's saying, uh, tell me I didn't do it again. And he's had a history of exploding. Um, 
empath. He's like, we're, we make a great team. And he's bragging. And then Gray Crow's basically telling him that I'm gonna fuck your shit up as soon as I get my arm repaired. <laughs> so, so um, then we have Nanny, who's about to slice open Sinister's throat. And then the X-Men pop up saying that um, Cyclops says, um, you guys ran into some trouble. Is everything okay? And then Manny just gives a ha, and then Grey Crow just starts laughing like crazy as hell. So we get to the healing gardens, and um, Cyclops and Emma are having a discussion, and he's saying that Alex is in distress. Uh, Emma says that he's a hero, and um, Sinister was about to unleash some real dangerous shit into the world, but Alex stopped it. But um, she proceeds to say that um, she may need his help with um, um, Kawanin because she knows that something was going on between those two and they had a close relationship. And Cyclops says that he will go ahead and he'll speak to her. And then he asks about Sinister. She says he's a council member. He'll return to his quarters. No, uh, no restraints. That's something that they'll deal with. Grey Crow wants to reiterate again to Empath that I want you to know as soon as they fix my shit, I'm finna kill your ass. I'm finna kill the fuck out of you. So um then we have um Nanny and great um Nanny and Orphan Maker having a uh brief dialogue and she's basically saying I'm not your nanny anymore. Um you're a man now. Um You've been a man since you came out back from Amit, and it's time for you to grow up. So that leaves Orphan Maker kind of feeling down and in the dumps. Then we get to a data page with Hank, and um, he's saying that Emma basically used the um, Hellions as a insurance policy for Sinister, and that they deserved better than what they were getting. Um, We have Wild Child and Kiwanin, and she's saying that he can't follow her. She wants nothing else to do with him and she wants him to leave. So he scurries away. Cyclops and um, Kawanin have a discussion and um, Kawanin is basically saying that Kokoa is no longer her home and she was a fool to think she was. Cyclops says that he doesn't... Um, that she doesn't believe that because he she would never accepted the role as um, captain, and he knows that it's about um, about sinister and they were close and everything. She lets him know that he has something that was very um, close to her. Yeah, she said he has something um, close to her, and basically it's gone now. And she's saying that she's going to go and. Um, and hunt the evils of the world um, without noble cause. Um, and she was tasked with keeping the Hellions in check. And um, that's basically all that that was. Um, we get to um, Emma and Havoc having a discussion. And Emma basically gives Havoc his props for um, destroying the um, the clone farms and considering him to be a hero and he's saying that he never wanted to like this he he um he's basically upset that Psylocke lost her daughter and um 
He said he couldn't help himself, and she, um, Emma decides, uh, Emma decides to tell Havoc that, um, he des- she decides to let him know that the council is reconsidering resurrecting Madeline Pryor. Um, she said that that's the least that she could do, but, um, she can't make any promises. And he's basically saying, thank you, you're the best. And she says, you're too kind. Um, Empath says, um, are you having regrets? Um, having any regrets? And he's like, um, you're not the only one. Our little, um, our little deal cost me the only friends I have. And she was saying, um, Emma says that she, she knows that she could count on, um, she knew she could count on Empath to get the job done. And basically she said, she offers her place to him. Um, not much really went on right there. Um, wild Child. Yeah, Greg Crow and Wild Child, they have a little discussion and he's saying that he used his powers, um, Impact used his powers on us and reminding um, and basically saying that he's going to make sure that he kills him. He's going to um, find his cradle and make sure it's melted down to nothing. Then we get to Manny's ship and we see the um, artificial intelligence baby that Nanny has, and it's her ship um, is taken over by uh, Harold from the right, and she's um, he's basically saying that you should have never left the right. She says, "Get out of my ship," and he takes control of her ship, and then he starts assaulting her with um, these tentacles that are inside of her ship, and. He takes the ship and starts taking it towards the what is that place with the with the kids with the mutant babies? The, the nursery. Yeah, the nursery. So basically, he's sending the ship there to basically crash into the nursery and basically kill all the mutant babies. And Nanny initiates a self-destruct sequence in her ship and blows it up. So Orphan Maker runs to the wreckage. He sees Nanny laying on the ground and he's at um he's trying to make sure that she's okay. And she jumps up and tells him to get off of her. And they've taken everything from me. Where were you when I needed you? Calling him a worthless stupid boy. He's like, You still got me, and she slapped the shit out of him. She's like, I have nothing just like you wanted and ask him, are you happy? And Orphan Maker runs off and that is how we end the book. So um, I particularly like this issue. Um, it definitely showed that um, even with them being like the roughnecks of Kokoa, they're basically, I mean, they basically still had some, some trauma going on. They definitely still had some feelings going on. So I definitely enjoyed it. So what would your guys thoughts on that? Emma's daughters have a hundred jobs just like Bishop because they're in the healing gardens for what? Those girls are everywhere. Is that internships? and Bishop have 80 million jobs apiece. They're literally... Like, it's unfair, um, honestly. The only reason why 
there's no one to call. It's because Xavier believes wholeheartedly in, um, you know, child labor. There are no laws against child labor and Krakoa, and they're probably never going to be. He said, you're old enough to have an X-gene activate, you old enough to be put to work. Yeah, I found the issue to be, um, it seems what's going on, that the Hellings are about to split. Because um, they kind of resolve havoc of it. They kind of resolve havoc of his service on the team. So I think that um, he may stick around, but I think that this is starting to become the unraveling of the, of the team itself. Um, Nanny really be on some like mommy dares type bullshit. Mm. And um, Orphan Maker is Christine, Christina. Um, that shit makes me sad. It goes on between them. Like every, every time she calls me, calls him a stupid boy, I cackle a little bit, a little bit. Um, I love seeing the X-Men show up, which is really cute. Um, it's kind of like, look, we're the functional team. You're the dysfunctional ones. Look at you guys looking, looking this totally This is what unity looks like. This is right. what, <laughs> can you guys this, even make a circuit? It's like, it's like I see somebody saying like, so, this is your, your brain on drugs. Patrick. Didn't we get a, a, a preview of um, Marauders? Where Grey Crow and Quanin joined the Marauders? Yeah. Is that what I saw? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's the annual, I think, annual issue. Anyone notice that Quanin was a captain for literally, like, I want to say three days? Um, and I'm and personally already not... ready to quit. Oh, no, yeah, because they tried her. <laughs> they tried her. They tried the fuck out of her. Um, and Emma didn't have the audacity within her, the spirit or gumption to say, I'm sorry, which is a very Emma thing to do. Havoc is not okay. He's the only person on that team, I want to say, should not leave it because he is not functioning. That dude should not have had a mental, complete mental breakdown like that. And then, like, this is a moment where he could finally could have had, like, an actual breakthrough and go, Hey, I've been acting like I don't deserve to be on this team. Like I'm above all this, but actually, this is like literally they use my weakness against me. They forced me to go and do some shit I did not want to do, and I've killed a kid. To oh my god, Maddie's coming back. There was no, there was nothing bad that happened at all. And one thing that I'm 100 like just not. I'm. It's interesting to me. Interesting to me on a storytelling standpoint. But I'm like, why did the person of color on the team, now that Quanin is an actual Asian person, it's not Betsy, why is her losing something an acceptable loss when we know this would never have been accepted for any other major, you know, ex-girls? And everyone's asked like, oh, but Quanin, you really shouldn't be upset about this. And we didn't really trust you because, you know, you would seem to be coding up the sinister. So it's really your fault for not communicating this. Like, no, what they did was really fucked up. The X-Men are in the wrong for this. Emma's in the, the complete wrong for this. But everyone's pretending like it was for the greater good that she did it. But I'm like, but then that makes like the death of a mutant child who Emma really shouldn't be, you know, down for. Because what we know about Emma is that she's here for the kids. It makes everything seem like it's all hunky-dory and the death was someone that they can live with. But I'm like, this is not something I should live with. This is something I should really care about because y'all did just do something deeply foul. Yeah, they were very and, passive with the death of her daughter. Very. Mm -hmm. And Sinister's <laughs> not going to be in trouble. They said it out loud. So, you know, Sinister 
He's a council member, so he can't. He doesn't even need to be chained up, locked up, or nothing. You send him to his room, and we know Beast having his little gloat moment towards Emma because, like, you know, he was chiding me for all the shit I've been doing. But look at you, Emma. Look at what you're doing for the greater good of the island. Sinister is going to be marched into the council room, and they might give him like wags of the finger and accusationary statements, but they're not going to do nothing to him. Because they can't do nothing to him because he knows that he always has in his back pocket. He's the geneticist. They can't do resurrection without him. So he's like, mm. I can do whatever I want to. Technically, they probably yeah, can now because they have all of the DNA copies. But they they know that there's a level of, or he knows that there's a level of um, leniency that they give him because he's so integral to the, the resurrection process or was. They call it a prodigy. I'm hitting a prodigy, I mean, quite honestly. Be, I mean, I feel like that would be a better option because them having sinister after him doing that shit, like I don't I don't see what the purpose would be in keeping him. Like they can I mean they can't replace him. Prodigy would be my first choice. They even call it rogue. But you southern bitch. Come through. <laughs> Please, because I'm like sinister. I was like, this is not okay. This isn't okay. It's like this is a this severely not okay that it it hinges into the absurd, the reason why they're letting him live. Especially because Myra knows, like, yeah, Sinister's gonna betray us. And we know he's going to. And it happens. I want to say it didn't happen at least two different timelines that he betrayed them. Um, at some point along the course of Krakoa. So I'm like, if we know he's going to do this, and we know that all the pivotal events are happening, and he tried to make a chimera, put the dog down. I'm very surprised in Emma that she's not doing it. I'm very, very surprised. I'm so extraordinarily surprised. I hope in Inferno, the next thing that happens is that they do initiate that automatic retirement, and they force out Sinister. I think, I think the problem... In, and I think this is why Inferno is going to be so important, is that there are a lot of uh, chefs in the kitchen and no cooks, and I'm trying to understand why Xavier and Magneto have their agenda, Emma has her agenda, Mora has um, her agenda, um, and then you have sad, greatly enough, greatly enough, um, Cyclops is not mixed up in any of this shit for once, you know, because she's always the drama. Mm -hmm. And I I the drama. Cyclops is always the drama. So I'm really glad that this has nothing to do with him and Gene for once. I'm glad this has nothing to do with the Phoenix Force for once. Um, but I do recognize that like Krakoa has a power issue where the Quiet Council is creating a lot of issues because a lot of them are, everybody has an agenda and no one's communicating their agendas. You can't put someone like Sinister on the Quiet Council and like it's, it's like it's like that it's like that chart you see like you know chaotic good you know chaotic evil neutral neutral evil like you know what I'm saying organized evil like apocalypse was like organized evil while sinister is chaotic evil and and I think that like when you have someone like he's that not chaotic um, evil he's a messy bitch who lives for the drama and don't give a fuck about nobody but himself he's entertained by his own fucking clones. He don't need love. He don't need Bay. He don't need none of that shit. Like, there's no, like, with every, um, with every character on X-Men, everyone 
everybody has a foil. Sinister doesn't have one, and that makes him immensely dangerous. And I think no one's really paying attention to the fact that Sinister doesn't have a foil. So how do you contain someone that you can't hang anything over their head? Nothing. He doesn't have a mutant foil, but um, high evolutionary is his foil. But they don't trust his ass to get close to Kakroa at all. Right, because he's not a mutant. Well, Tarn right. is now. But they're not even going to take counsel. And, you know, Tarn probably just going to kill him when he sees him. I don't think he's going to leave that fucking cave ever again, because Tarn... <laughs> Tarn is on one with Sinister. And I... You know, the moment that he'll kill him, I will applaud. I was applauding Mandy when she was walking up on him with that knife and said, you know, your day has come, motherfucker. I was like, yes. Finally, your weird ass has a use. Um, and the only person on the council, there's only two people on this entire council who does not have an ulterior motive because every single one of them do. And the right. only two is Exodus and Storm. Right. Everybody Exodus knows. has not asked the wrong question yet. When when Cyclops stepped down, he was like, so why should we even let you keep on being a captain in the first place if you can't even be a captain commander? You seem too busy for that. I'm like, that's a good question. That's not unfair. When Cypher was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I can do the X of Swords event, Exodus was like, so why don't I just kill you, put you into the protocol, and I can go fight for you? Because if you did not with this shit, then send somebody who's going to be. And I was like, you know what? That's not a bad statement either. When, you know, he's raising the kids, he's like, you know, we got to worry about this great pretender because the bitch fucked up and she annihilated our entire species. And everyone's acting a lot more hunky-dory about that than I actually feel like we should be. Honestly, if you ask me, I would have gone and killed her myself. But, you know, I'm not allowed to be doing stuff, stuff like that to humans anymore. So I'm like, you know, he's giving, he's asking the right questions. Maybe it's time for an Exodus solo series. Yes. I concur. I'm a little bit more with, like, we've always seen him as um, Magneto's underling, like Fabian Cortez. It's, it's time to flush out Exodus. It's time to flush him out. Let's see what the T is. Because, like, we the thing is that, like, in Age of Apocalypse, we got a lot more out of Exodus than we did in the um, 616 timeline. And I really want to know more about Exodus. I do, see, because I would like to see him doing more than just doing Bible study with the kids and the poets. Even though it is cute, I want them to keep that. It, it is I cute. Like, I, I think all I of the council, the quiet council members need to have like something they're in charge of, like the the Great Ring does. Everybody Exodus needs to have a separate task. Last time I feel like I saw Exodus was he was in the X. Correct me wrong, he wasn't X Men volume for the all female team of X Men. Um, and he showed up when Monet did, and I think he resurrected her or something from the dead. And he was like, "Yo, girl, you got not you got smacked the fuck up by Enchantress. You got you got to hook that up." can't be out here dying like that and then he went away um but like everything i've ever seen of exodus has always been an interesting thing he's always seen like just the equivalent to monet he's like a stronger monet sorry a stronger monet saint claude and he just has a very righteous sense of like like we just said that the, the great alignment chart where you know sinister is like chaotic evil exodus has always been like he's actually good he's not evil per se it's just that his mission doesn't align with any group or kingdom 
he's anti, he's a radical, but that just means that he's like, you know, orderly good. I forget the name of it. It's like order, high order, um, lawful good. All right. Do we have anything else that we want to go over for Hellions? Um, no, not right now. Okay. Uh, I wonder. Oh, well, I wonder where um the clone sinister went to though, because we saw him jet off. He probably went to go oh. replicate the formula. You're not going to show us no Tarn Sinister and not introduce that as a character. You know, in two issues, probably, we wouldn't get a moment of the Hellions got to go stop him. And they're going to go deal with it. I don't think, I think also um, Empath's moment of quote unquote clarity that happened at the end when Emma walked out. She's like, you know, I can always allow you not to, you know, mix business with pleasure or whatever the fuck she said. That was really condescending and vile. Uh, I really don't like the fact that I'm, I'm so anti Emma Frost this week, but I'm going to be because I'm like, you know, you you played in the face of Quanin a little too hard here. And as a white woman, it's giving too white. It's giving way too much white woman right now. And that's not cute. But Empath being her social, her psychopath in that pocket, like, Greco got to kill him permanently, honestly. Empath is not redeemable at this point because he's so psychotic and selfish there's no redeeming him just kill him we don't really need to bring him back i'm like he's right up there with the uh the Fenris twins right now for me as in like he's just like an unbearable white boy okay moving on mm -hmm. new mutants number 22 all right here we go this is me all right new mutants 22 we are in a Dragon Ball Z situation, and this is taking too long, and I'm about to get T.I. read. We open up the book with uh, Krakoa being destroyed by a uh, robotic invasion of Sentinels and, and led by Nimrod and human beings destroy Krakoa. Um, we forward over to the new mutant team of Warpath, Magic, Moonstar, um, Wolfsbane, and Karma defending... Krakoa from the Man Machine Alliance, Belasco and his demons, um, the Brood, the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse from um, Arako, and it looks to be AIM and some monkeys or apes from um, the High Evolutionary, I'm going to assume, which sounds racist, but, you know, that's another situation. Um, they go into battle and they all basically get killed and get shredded and they all are dead. Then we find our way back to Krakoa, modern day. It is um, down in the um, Kitty residence. And Anale, Cosmar, Rainboy, and uh, No Girl have come to apologize to um, Scout for what they allowed to happen because they weren't being a friend to her. And they are apologizing for what they've done and their part they played by not listening to her. And she's like, you know what? It's all cool. You know, you guys are my friends. You try to go back and resolve my resurrection and get me back. You know, you did what you had to do. I think it's fucked up that y'all like kind of like let, the, let that nigga kill me. But we we cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? We hug it out. Everybody's great. She still has, she, she still like 
Scout feels some kind of way about what happened, but she doesn't blame her friends for it. She's like, you know, they just didn't know any better. And I think that is a great sign of grace and maturity that her friends will never have. And I really hope that she levels up and gets better friends because uh, Cosmo, Cosmar's hair makeup is hair and makeup is terrible. Um, furthermore, we slide back to um, what seems to what seems to be that the Shadow King has the older New Mutants in psychic battles or uh, situations which aren't true. So the first thing we saw was just a psychic um, situation on this, on the astral plane that never really happened. But basically, Amal Farouk is trying to get them to understand something and actually sits down with them and explains everything that he feels. Um, in the midst of this conversation, he understands that, like, Magneto and, and Xavier were soft in the first place. And while he is grateful for this bastion of, of mutant kind and mutant them living great together, that this will all unravel if we don't stop sitting on our ass and really get to fight. And really get to defending ourselves and i and what it appears that he's trying to say is that he's purposely tried to level up the younger new mutants so they will be better ready for war when the time comes because it is coming and i think that the scope of everything it is really coming um but with that being said it like well no well girl you can't carry that way you know you know moonstar is leading this mission her magic and they're basically like you know like you can't lead this way it's like people are allowed to basically have their autonomy in Krakoa and the girls don't want to fight, the girls don't have to fight. The girls want to fight, the girls can fight and there's a place for that. And I feel like that was probably the most nuanced answer of how Krakoa should be run, but that's really kind of not happening because it really appears that everybody that we see in each book is being set up to be a warrior at some point. But I will say that like, I'm contextualizing this in the real world. I'm pretty sure there are a bunch of mutants on the island who just do remedial things like blob runs the green lagoon situation love that for him um so the other kids are decided let's go talk to sinister i mean that's say sinister let's go talk to um the shadow king and find out what's tea why you did my girl like that blah 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 so on and so forth and they start to leave but then scout decides to catch up with them and like you know i'm gonna go with y'all and see what's good and you know we do this together as a team but as they get closer, they realize that some strange shit is going on. And and they finally walk in and they see all of the new mutants on the ground trapped in some web of the Shadow King. And we are left here. Um, I will say about this issue, which is kind of like getting on my nerves, like I said when I first initiated this uh, review, is that it's becoming very Dragon Ball Z. Get to the goddamn point. Can you just kill Frieza? Goku and get this said and done. I'm really getting tired now. We've been we've been alluding to this fight for the last like two or three issues. Um, it's 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 getting it's getting dumb now. Um, we all know the sinister, not sinister. Once again, um, Shadow King has done something wrong, and that's obvious that he killed that little girl, and he should be in the hole. But but like you know, what is taking so long for us to get here? So I'm hoping that next issue that this is all resolved and pulled together. Um, thoughts, concerns, accusations feelings so they had a data page in here that sort or two data pages i think um that sort of implied that uh amal farouk is trying to rebel against the shadow king um entity um so i'm not exactly sure whose impression here is that the kids need to be um become warriors if that's the shadow king or if that's amal farouk 
uh, and the Shadow King just happens to be facilitating that. So it would be interesting to see when they resolve this, um, if the Shadow King entity is removed from Amal and Amal actually um, has been trying to help or if it was sort of them working together uh, to sort of improve the kids being battle ready or whatever. I like, I mean, like, and I, and I think, and I think there's a fair point to where, you know, you need a Magneto hand and, and as far as like educating and preparing mutants for battle and I receive part of it. And I think that Shadow King does have a point um, that it is essential that these kids are ready because the shit is coming. Um, maybe he is a little bit more privy to the fact of how dishonest everyone is. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a telepath. I'm pretty sure he is sneak, sneaking and, and peeking around people's minds to see what the real T is whether they want to consent to it or not. And I think that like at some point there needs to be lines drawn very clearly in Krakoa where like, look, the man machine militia shit is coming. We need to be prepared. We have already aware like in, in Inferno because this is for what I'm for what I'm feeling from this, Inferno's going on simultaneously as this is also going on. That's why we got Kwanan as um well Psylocke as a captain already in Hellions because we're already moving in that direction. So I'm pretty sure that the girls know that like something is going on, but I think that like Shadow King is trying to teach them a lesson. Like, look, y'all need to wake the fuck up. Like y'all need like, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's very, it's, it's very, um, uh, uh, Hebrew Israelite, Israelite to me. That's what it's giving. Um, very much, you know, homo taps, uh, ho taps and womb taps. Let's um let's protect the collective. That's what it's really giving. It's very much um problematic Black Panthers. That's what it's really giving. Um, I just feel like there's a better way of doing this, but I think that like the intention is not wrong. The delivery is. So Shadow King is giving me Charles Xavier vibes, real mm. strong. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. real, real strong, but like actually acting on it and being just like forthcoming with, yeah, so like y'all should be prepared and I'm trying to prepare y'all, whereas Charles would just try to subvert you into believing his way, whereas Shadow King is like, this is what we're going to do and we're going to do this. Because there was an alternate reality where, where Shadow King like possessed Xavier and made his own X-Men team. So I know for a fact that Shadow King is completely capable of all of this. That's why I'm just um, like, I'm just waiting to see what happens. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say in the data page, there's a mention of a girl that Farouk, who I assume the narrator of the poem is Farouk, um, spies, and he's like, "Oh, she's so talented," and he gave her food and whatnot. That's Storm, right? In the poem. Yes. So I'm hoping they eventually bring her out. Because um, Black Bull X on Twitter was like a long time ago when everyone was suspecting, you know, I want to say at least 10 issues ago, because this issue, this this arc has been going on for too fucking long, I agree. Um, they discussed like, oh, I don't feel like anyone knows that Shadow King is here. I was like, no, everyone knows he's here. He, like, but they were like, oh, no, but then like, why would they forgive him for basically being like, you know, the abuser of Storm when she was growing up? He literally took advantage of her in every sense of the way. And I'm like, well, it's the amnesty thing. He said, they wouldn't do that. You know, Krakoa was supposed to be perfect. They wouldn't have said, no, 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 that's the point. It's not. <laughs> so 
you know, in this, I think we get a clear idea that Shadow King is operating and that's always and somewhat operated from an understanding that he means to do well, but he doesn't respect humans. And before then, you know, Oro's ex-gene hadn't kicked in. Um, and so he just didn't know that he was taking advantage and being like particularly brutal towards another mutant. And the first mutant he ever met really was Charles. And once he met Charles, he was actually pretty nice to him. Like Farouk has always kind of been very pro-mutant. And his ideals just never have meshed very well with Charles. But also Shadow King didn't grow up in white wealth like Charles did. So it's understandable that he's very much, yeah, if you don't showcase your power to these people and you don't prepare yourself for when happy times are over, bad things are going to happen, bad things are coming for you. I wanted to pay attention like more specifically to what he does to magic in that world, or more so the fear he has for magic in this, um, because his storyline, you know, as much as people go like, oh, he was the abuser for Storm, he took advantage of her and all this stuff, the Shadow King did the exact same thing to him. And he is a bit more sensitive about this idea of like being taken over or taken by otherworldly power and just being dominated by it. And what happens with magic is like very clearly a allegory for like, she was sex trafficked and Belasco was an abuser to her her entire childhood. Um, his fear for her was that Belasco would come back and take her again. And like, there's a level of this that Shadow King is operating from a need to protect the children and the need to protect his community and all the other mutants there. But he's going about it in a way that requires more inspection. And I'm really happy they didn't just go the route that, you know, they would have went if Rick Remender was allowed back in the ex offices ever again. But thank God he's not. Because Rick Remender has this idea about, like, being marginalized that would have said, oh, of course Shadow King doesn't know what he's talking about, and therefore we should kill him. Um, because it's not like that. It's not that Shadow King is so evil that he doesn't care about people. He's very clearly cares about like magic even, or he cares about, you know, Wolfsbane. He cares about the fact that Wolfsbane didn't get her kid back. Everyone came to him because they he cares. But at the same time, he's like, don't forget as much as I'm helping you that I could also have a knife in my pocket and you don't even know about it. You should be second guessing me, but you also should be leaning into that darkness in your heart that's telling you not to trust people because in the end, it might be the thing that saves your life. Um, and there is a bit of merit in that darker outlook that Shadow King has because he's not wrong. Nothing he's saying we know as a reader is wrong. Myra's full on lying to everyone. And he's like, this can't be right. Utopias don't exist and you can't trust it. And as much as we might love being mutants, we are still human beings as well. And the moment they come to attack, we can't be out here pretending like, you know, oh, everything's hunky-dory, we're above it all, so we don't have to kill them. If it comes down to war, kill every human in your sight. Yeah, and I would have to say that I like the um, comparison that he made between uh, the Quiet Council and the Iraqis, because he's basically saying, like, you know, they, the Iraqi are they're warriors they know they're warriors they accept the fact that they're warriors and that's why they survived for a millennia you know being warriors but 
it's like with with Kokoa is different because it's almost like they're it's almost like they're making you like dumb down the fact that you could be a warrior or you know not really get in touch with your true capabilities more so the quantum council but i like that he pointed that out you know that i mean he had he, he did he has some some very valid points but like you said the way you know he goes about it is it's it's not the best but i do like that he made that comparison hmm. and it's also interesting the fact that everyone's like he's not properly using his telepathy right but at the same time i'm like we have established that they don't care when other people use their powers on one another there this is interesting i'm excited for them to finally bring this to conclusion um i'm happy gabby was able to like look at them and go like yeah i'm gonna forgive you guys i'm a little awkward right now y'all didn't listen to me you know say i was being stupid but <laughs> i have an idea that uh that Gabby's a Sagittarius. Um, but she's very much just listening in on them. She's like, you know, uh, the rest of my family is out dealing with the Wanda situation. And so we're going to have to have this conversation. I'm going to have to be mature and want to forgive you. But at the same time, I'm like, you guys next time got to listen to me. And yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Any other thoughts or feelings? Gowns, beautiful gowns. Gowns. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess it's safe to say you can move on to your circuit party, please. Okay, so this week's circuit party, uh, we're going to be discussing the very same thing we just covered. So in the conversation, um, Shadow King highlighted an important, important facet about the new mutants who are sitting across from him and that they've been indoctrinated within Xavier's mentality of, you know, coddle the, those weaker than you and you know, respectability politics. That's literally what it is. It's just respectability politics of going, you know, you have to be worthy of being seen as a human being. And so if you do acts of service towards the great majority, then they will come to eventually see you as a person worthy of not killing. Um, you have to earn your right to live. And it's a very white man's burden, very um, model minority way of going about it. And I... I read that line and the moment that Shadow King was going to it, and it really resonated with me um, about the great error and the great fallacy of Krakoa, which is that though everyone there is mixed in from different ideologies and different mentalities, that a huge majority of those with power and respect within Krakoa all kind of fall into either they were humbled by Xavier or they believe wholeheartedly in Xavier's dream that really maybe is outdated within the times or within how marginalized people should be discussing themselves. So the circuit party this week, we'll be discussing, do we believe that the X-Men are completely indoctrinated by Xavier? And do we think that it's time or that it's potentially capable of the X-Teens to change their mentality in a way that doesn't betray the overall argument of why they exist? I absolutely believe that there is a large contention of the mutants on Krakoa who um, still follow that uh, Xavier brainwashing. Uh, a lot of them are sort of seeing into that, like um, Nightcrawler during uh, Way of X sort of is seeing that 
uh, Xavier's way is not really the full right way, um, that there is uh, some nuance that is missed by Xavier's uh, dream or whatever. Um, I'm really starting to see and enjoy throughout all of the Cocoan age that a lot of the mutants who may have sided with Xavier or Magneto at some point in time are sort of seeing um, seeing the light that really neither of them were fully correct and that you sort of have to have a little piece of both uh, to get anywhere successful, that you don't have to be like, we don't have to be humans' best friends or we don't have to be best friends with our oppressors. We can be successful over here by ourselves without them interfering whatsoever. Um, and then they can just stay the fuck away from us and leave us alone. But I think also we established that they're not just going to leave them the fuck alone. Uh, <laughs> because Orcas, as they're like going about this, is currently making plans. They currently have at least 16 different plans in fruition. Nimrod is resurrected, is here. He's preparing himself to sweep the earth with sentinels to destroy it. The techno-organic age is about to begin, and the phalanx appears to be arriving prematurely on Krakoa to come in and I potentially think to investigate whether or not Krakoa is worthy of being taken to the phalanx first before anyone else. Um, and it's just very interesting to see that this argument keeps getting made. I keep thinking back to when Fabian Cortez was sitting before the council. He's going like, we should be actively ushering them. Like the first law, harm no human should not exist because it in itself, you know, it's designed and argued as, oh, we're better than them, so we shouldn't do it. But in actuality, it's still more coddling. And it's still a half measure that exists to prevent mutant kind from going out and revisiting the harm done to them against humankind. Um, and that's an interesting issue altogether because I can see areas where Shadow King is right. He's like, you know, all mutants should really be acting in their better interest of just making sure that they don't exist to harm us anymore. At the same time, he's like, if we do this, we need to actively participate in the war. Um, and it's just very I, awkward to sit there and go, well, we shouldn't do it because we are better. Because it doesn't feel like a valid enough answer. I think his comparison between um, Krakoa and Araka was very uh, apt because the three laws of Araka are make more mutants, which they share with Krakoa, destroy all enemies, which they don't share with Krakoa, and defend Araka, which is just their version of the third law of Krakoa, um, respect the sacred land. So the only law that's different is kill no man for Krakoa and destroy all enemies for Araka. Rocco really has it correct um, because if, you're, if your uh, enemy's whole purpose is to end your existence, why would you not want to destroy them first? Like, why would you just be like, oh, yeah, let's just be besties and we're gonna be, we'll be peaceful neighbors, but they hate us. No, I want you to, to just not exist and leave us alone. Every time they have a scene of the X-Men hugging Captain America, I want to vomit. I hate it every fucking time. And I always hate when Wolverine is pitted as an Avenger against the X-Men. No, cut that out too. Yeah, that needs to stop. Um, I 
I definitely don't think the X-Men um, or Krakoa are under Professor X's like thumb. I think it's more of a situation of his ideology is a lot bigger than who he is anymore. Um, there's really nothing Xavier could do to really change him because like they've already shown that he's a fallible character, that he's not perfect. Um, he was a creep for Gene. Um, he has um, created his own X-Men several times over. Um, he has definitely done Deadly Genesis and lied and, and removed memories. He has killed other X-Men uh, willingly and subjectively. So they know that Xavier is not a uh, infallible character, but what they do know that like, as far as the dream of what he is demanding, he is the face of it. It's kind of like being like Queen Elizabeth. Like, you may not be in Parliament really making the decisions, girl, but we need to see your face so we can just have some kind of law and order that people see that you exist. So, like, him, like, and, and to be even more frank, I think his helmet is much more relevant than he is. That 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 helmet is a beacon of, of the dream, not exactly Xavier anymore. But with that being said, I do think that, like, um, Krakoa systemically deals with the same issues that we deal in the Black community. And I think that, like, there are issues of how hard we should fight. And the problem is that there is a branding issue where Rocco has made it very clear that like, you know, like we matter no matter, like our black lives matter more than anyone else's. And I don't give a fuck about the rest of y'all lives. And if you come to me, fuck when our lives, that means you want to die. Then you have Kokoa where there's like our black lives matter, but we are willing to sit at the table and have a dialogue about how we can all cohabitate. Iraq was out on that cohabitation bullshit. And I think that even putting them on that planet makes a hell of a lot more sense. But what happens, but what happens when an Iraq eye mutant breaks a Kokoa law on Earth? What happens? Because I know that that Iraq Iraq mutants have definitely killed some humans. I'm sure they have in a frostbite or everything, at least Solomon at least. So what happens? And I think the problem, I think things that like they're allowing the um Iraq or uh Iraqi mutants to have their own government and thrive is very much giving Africa and African Americans and you know it's 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 I think people I think it's very much loaded more I think people realize but with that being said um the Iraq the um the Iraqi mutants have a better government just just in general like like even how they explain mm-hmm. everything everybody's place um they're less um chefs in the kitchen there's only nine people on the great ring even though they keep alluding to this other three that's hidden in the background but you know of course in every government there's a secret society the united states has the skulls apparently or some bullshit or the illuminati child i don't know if you're listening to this you're part of societies i don't want no smoke or no trouble i'm just saying for example that's in the lexicon they are movies on this so do not come for me you people i love y'all thank you so much um but with that being said i think that like there are secret agencies within a government i think that's just what it is it's like Everything can't be a consumption of human knowledge. Some things have to be hidden until until we are in a space of understanding. I feel that way. I know that's not problematic, but you know, whatever. But with that being said, Krakow was in its infancy, and I think that Krakow was smart. They would take their lessons from the Rocco mutants about how to manage things. I do think that there is they frown upon the Rocco the Rocco mutants and their barbarism. But that barbarism has kept them alive in other world for centuries, and that and must be a respected. Stronger foe, yeah, it's a stronger foe than Orcus, right? So that that should be respected to some degree. I do think that once again, 
Black World has done it again, y'all. Clap it up for Black, Black World. We have brought it back to Storm. Storm is the bridge <laughs> between both of these communities to resolve this. Storm should be, um, I really think, you know, Storm should be leading the Quiet Council on Earth. I think it's time because she's the only one that has the, the compassion, the common sense, the, the, the level of violence necessary to do what needs to be done. Um, Storm can lead the Quad Council on Earth and still have her seat on the Great Ring, even though she's not in charge of the Great Ring, she's not leading the Great Ring, but she is still the voice of soul. She's also the region of, of Planet Araco. She has several jobs and she needs to be really treated as the dignitary that she is and given the authority to do what, she, what needs to be done because I don't think uh, these uh, melanin deficient mutants are going to get it done. They all plan. And I really appreciate the fact that that Gene and Cyclops had had enough confidence to get their white asses out the way and 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 be foot soldiers like they should be for the community. Because technically, technically, let's talk about it. The the mutant race is actually a black race, and somehow they mutated into white folks. I don't want to say it. I'm just saying. Take note, America. Take note. Grand question is why was the first host? Of the Phoenix White. That's the ultimate question. It's like, there, there was no white people in Cro Magnon. That is a lie. I don't know why. That is a lie. That's how, that's like, how that's insidious, rude. insidious <laughs> you white people are. That's how insidious y'all are. Why in the fuck was some? First of all, first of all, let's re, let's really get into it. Let's let's be really be real. Stop making up shit for comedy. Having red hair is such a genetic anomaly, and I know Doctor Showtime can agree with me on this. Like, like redheaded people are going extinct in the next like like century or so. Like redhead is such is such an it's anomaly. Why it's a recessive gene, and you need to have two genes from two different people to even have red hair. Yes, so it's very, very, very rare. They are living in very limited cultures in, in prehistoric in the prehistoric world. Even the mutants of that time, because I read that shit. They were living in motherfucking caves. Maybe they might have been Europeans, but they were living in caves. But with that being said, if they are more than likely from the descendants of mutants of, of apocalypse family, they are niggas. And I'm trying to understand where where little uh 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 what's that little huzzy name? Pippi Longstocking came from and she was blessed with the fucking Phoenix Force. I'm trying to understand because you don't first of all, sis, you don't have the melanation to be around that heat anyway, because you're already uh white as hell, child. You're gonna go ahead and get skin cancer. So you shouldn't have been sitting here in the first place and the fucking Phoenix in the first place. So how the fuck did you land a Phoenix when you don't have the melanin? You will get melanoma. What are you doing, sis? What are you doing? Like I I really hated everything about that, like um, about that shit. And like and granted, y'all trying to make Gene Gray happen, y'all trying to make Every uh, white woman with red hair, some kind of powerful being. Let's just stop it. Cause we all know what happened to uh, all, uh, white women with red hair. They all turned out to be Lindsay Lohan. So let's go ahead and just accept the tea for what it is. I don't know. I think be... Maddie is very um, the exception to the rule. The only one. The only. I one. think I've been trying to be accepting of Echo because I'm like, okay, they gave the Phoenix Force to a Native American hero. Uh, specifically because they didn't want to have to duck away from the firebird symbolism that, you know, 
is there within the theories of what a phoenix is. Even though phoenixes like dragons are like one of the most universal symbols um, in human culture, it's like for some reason they're everywhere. And there's lots of theories about why. Honestly, it's probably just because, you know, peacocks and fucking chickens look very, they vary across the planet. Um, even though I also agree that there shouldn't be no Phoenix without Jean Grey, uh, making Avengers 10,000 BC happen was weird. Even though I did appreciate them appearing and that Eternals um, little solo that we got this this week, uh, where Ajax went back in time and she met up with the Avengers 10,000 BC. Now, she didn't travel back in time. She was just there because she's thousands of years old and she was like, you know, I'm here to say hello. And they jumped and killed her. <laughs> and then she went, okay, let them live. And then later on, she just changed her mind. She's like, mm, actually, I fucked up. No, we should have got rid of them way back when. Because the Phoenix Force beat the shit out of her. She didn't throw a fireball. She didn't get a migraine. She walked up to Ajax and slapped the shit out of her. That's offensive to me. Um... But overall, that ideology existed back then as well. And it didn't work. Like the 10,000 BC uh, Phoenix was raised by that not pro Magnus, like mutated husk of Charles Xavier. And then she went out and she lashed out for a second. And they murdered every single one of the mutants. Um, And so the first era, I think that was the first generation of mutants ever went extinct, they died, and they had to wait for another few eras for new mutants to pop up. And this has been a recurring cycle of things. So I'm just like, Xavier, it's not that you have an untested theory. It's the fact that it's been tested time and time again, and now you're attempting to push the ideology onto other people. What's really going on, sis? Do you really believe in this? Do you wholeheartedly believe that this will have a different outcome? Or are you just nervous about not having privilege anymore? I don't know, because I figured out for 70 years of doing the same shit that you would try to switch up your formula just a little bit. But this is big. I don't know. I, 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 yeah, like I've always thought Charles um, like very subtly used telepathy on like everybody around him to like suggest things so that shit goes his way. And I yeah, feel like he's starting to, to realize that he can't get away with doing that on Krakoa. But there's, there were a couple of X-Men characters, um, Storm most notably, who actually addressed that fact. It was like, it was one issue where he wanted her to steal something and then she brought up the fact like, you know, I do this for you, but like, are you fucking with me? You know, like you, you are you putting like the shit in my head where you want me to like, you know, what what's really going on? You know, so I I think that with this whole topic, I think there are some that kind of struggle with it because they don't know where Charles kind of where his where his head is at. But I mean, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I'm one to think that he because he's not above it. He full, he brain, he brainwashed fucking Wolverine to join the team. So I'm like, you're not above it. You can't pretend like you're above it. I fully think you probably did something to Storm so that she can come along with you. 
because she was doing work and he's like you're wasting your talents out here making it rain in africa i was like that's an important thing she's doing it wasn't like she wasn't serving humanity she was doing a very important thing she was feeding people she was ending drought and famine she wasn't just dicking around like the rest of y'all <laughs> I do think Storm had a profound loneliness that also contributed to why she joined. Because um, people don't tend to write Storm as a very lonely person. But I'm like, she was like out there by herself, like for years. Family dead. The only person she ever really had a real profound connection with was some black boy who was running around with her. And they had, you know, a quickie. And then like she had a really lasting effect that he went away and she never saw him again. And then she ended up in Kenya, and now she's making it rain. I'm like, she's a very lonely person. This dude comes around talking about unity and a family she can come join. She's like, okay, why not? I guess I'll come hang out with you. Boom. Now she's in America in a leotard, fucking fighting an evil island. That's just the general sum of it. I don't trust Xavier Sparks to throw him, but the only person I authentically believe who follows Xavier's like ideology and dream who doesn't turn into some dumb shit is Storm. She's the only person who will go, yeah, I think that we should use our gifts to help one another. It doesn't matter what that might look like. But at the same time, I will kill someone. And I'm not afraid to do it. And I don't pause for a whole seven month arc to go through about how long I am for having done it. That's why I don't agree with the IVX situation. I don't agree with that she blamed herself for that bullshit. I don't agree that she stepped down from leadership for that bullshit. Because I'm like, the storm I know would have looked at that situation and gone, they were trying me on repeat. Medusa actually looked me in the face as if she beat my ass. Hilarious. Hilarious thought. She was also a ginger. I'm like, this is, that wasn't clicking for me. And they, they really made her bent over backwards to fit into that ideology that does not fit her or how she interprets it. There's a middle ground there within the conversation that also I think Apocalypse would agree with, where he was like, yeah, I want you all to be strong. And I want you all to be powerful. And I want you all to, you know, they buck at you, cut their fucking heads off. But at the same time, there's some shit you can just not do. <laughs> there's like Apocalypse, even in Age of Apocalypse, he was like, I'm in charge of all this shit. It's all mine. But, you know, I don't have to just walk through the streets and just vaporize everyone who's weaker than me. Well, um, we don't acknowledge that IVX happened in this household. Um, that whole inhumanity era didn't exist whatsoever. Um, we don't acknowledge that any of those things happened. The age of X-Men happened? No. Not no. For me. Not for me. <laughs> I thought that was like... I, I, I tried it, I read the first issue, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go cook some bacon or something, because that was another reason. <laughs> Department <laughs> X, Department X led by Blob, didn't happen. I would say Department X was very cute. You know, you have Betsy with a crush on Blob, and her going like, you know, I really like how you take leadership and how you love yourself. And then she tried to fuck him, and... <laughs> Every single one of those books that was part of the Age of X Man was trash. It, Prisoner X was probably the best one out of all of them, and even then, it was not good. 
So even he wasn't rocking with Gene and Bishop getting together. You know what? I was just about to say that because I was like, that was the most random, dumbest shit that I ever seen. I was like, how are they even compatible? We'll see what happened was um, Wolverine and Cyclops were dating each other on the outside. And Cyclops, did Hope shoot him in the face and he lost an eye during that? No, he got jumped or... Oh, he got shot in the, I thought it was just like yeah, he, he got, got shot that first issue. No, he but got it was shot, hope that I, shot him I, I in the face. I can't remember if it was hope or not, but he definitely got shot in the eye. Because he was walking around with a bandage over his face for the longest time. And I if I remember correctly, it was hope that shot him in the eye. Like, God, can we not do this? All of this is just awful. You could have put all the Xbooks on hiatus until Hickman came in. We didn't need none of that. Mm. Would have been fine with that. I really would have been fine with that. They were with that with that run. Well, prior to Age of X Men, they were good. Like the first, to me personally, they were good. Like the first maybe ten issue up until like the whole thing happened with the whole the new reality and whatever. I felt like it was good up until then. After that, it just it just went to shit. Interesting. I did not like. I mean, I, not that I hated it. It was just that overall, it was triggering. It was a very triggering run. Um, having to watch Wolfsbane get beaten to death and a very clearly, oh, look at this. It's, a, it's just like a trans murder. We've got the transforming mutant being beaten to death and she's not fighting back. Look how noble that is. I'm like, that's not a good thing to feel when you're reading an issue. Um, it wasn't, it didn't leave me with a clean feeling afterwards. That shit haunted the hell out of me. And I was just like, this is heavy-handed, and this is exactly why I hate Xavier's ideology. Tying it back in at all times, like, everything wrong with that run was everything I hate about Xavier, which is, like, most men should have fought back. And I know they were like, oh, well, she kind of had a death wish, and she really missed her kid, and so she died to go back to him because her husband was dead. And her child is dead and she has nothing to live for anymore. But I'm like, at the same time, like, if someone is coming to lynch me <laughs> and I'm the most depressed, I would still feel the need to fight back um, because that's not the way I choose to go out. And I would much rather, if she's feeling that, I would much rather if she had just, you know, trigger warning, if she yeah. had just took it upon herself. Because then she had a choice over like just being murdered by a group of flat skinned dudes for having the audacity to be a beautiful mutant in their presence. Didn't they, didn't they do the same thing to triage? They took his power from him and then killed him. So he couldn't self-resurrect. Yeah, it was during that whole arc where they were like trying to get rid of all the human mutants. Um, so they killed Elixir, but Elixir brought himself back to life um because he's the omega and so there was no stopping that triage i think they gave they put a power dampener collar on him and then killed him so his power wouldn't bring him back i believe so i'm not sure if he lasted that long i have to actually look and see this because i'll be discussing triage in a bit for another thing but definitely yeah that sounds about right because i remember being upset because i like triage me Um, too Christopher Muse is a really interesting mutant. He was introduced very much like Sight Prodigy 
And I guess they realized that he was leaning more to that button-up black boy, you know, stereotype. And so they made him kind of like a jokester, low-key a pervert. Um, so yeah, he was killed and he just got resurrected back in Krokoa um, because they didn't want him resurrecting or healing mutants, which is really fucked up. All right. Anything else for our circuit party today? I think this no, is a great so topic. I think it was a great topic. Mm-hmm. I think that it um I think that thing I think people don't realize how black and white it's not in Krakoa. The way they introduced everything in House of X. That it was like we all just happy to be here. Celebration is a great pretend they ain't shit. And now as everything is starting to like go, we're starting to see threads of unraveling and it's just like any in any issue, in any intersectional group, even like with the United States and the vaccine situation, it's a it's a very divisive situation going on in Krakoa right now, and it needs to. I think the thing that like what society needs to get to is a point that everybody's not get what they want. We all not get what we want, but I think there needs to be a point that there are at least legislation and things in place to protect everyone. And I will say, in closing, for myself, that they need to pull Saber Tooth out of the pit. He's going to come out eventually because he's got his own run starting in January. So we're going to see that. I hate to say this, though, but like, what in the fuck is me? We know you have an issue, Henry. Um, like, it's specifically kind of like, tight. If I, if I go white, it's going to be Saber Tooth. I love He's him. the type of white man to call it a fat hog. So you want to ride Sabretooth's fat hog? And he says yeah, cock I, with a He says I, cock with like three C's. I, I got, also I got, don't I'm, think that he yeah. cleans under his foreskin. So you're going to um, get a UTI <laughs> and a yeast infection. I mean, he call you know, his I, little I, chocolate bear. I'd be like, I'd, I'd be a little like chocolate thing. I'll be like Birdie. I'm gonna risk my life. For, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna risk myself for. I'll risk my life for the dead. They can resurrect me if I die. Cause I love him. <laughs> I liked him Y'all better like, when he was actually inverted. Honestly, oh, I love when he was inverted. Oh, I love him then too. Yeah, an I, I would like for him to get back to that. He was yeah, a good character. What if he comes right, out y'all. and he, he changed? <laughs> I hope so. I hope he comes out he's like, actually, I agree. I spent some time in there meditating and thinking. And honestly, I believe in being a changed person. I love him. I love him so much. All right, okay, y'all. Do we right. have any recommendations for non-X books? Into the Eternals, y'all. Get into it. Don't listen to Henry. Henry's going to be full of shit. The Eternals is going the fuck off. You know, the Eternals, Celestia. Um, just went down. We referenced it today. It was magnificent. And you want an idea about what potentially might happen for the movie coming up in November. Um, definitely check it out. It's filled with some, it fills in a lot of blanks regarding the history and the relationship between the Eternals. But the first thing you will see and realize upon reading it is that the Eternals are not superheroes. They do not believe in that bullshit. They are here to kill deviants and make sure the human species does not go extinct. And the definition of going extinct means that at least 10 of us need to be alive. Yeah. I'd like um, to recommend Kang the Conqueror. It's a mini series. So they are on, uh, I think it's issue three at this point. Yeah, issue three of five. 
um, is going to come out in a couple weeks, or is it this week? It's going to come out soon. Um, that I think uh, is a good book to read. And then I also recommend Savage Avengers, which has been reminding us sincerely that um, Doctor Strange is not the most oh, powerful shit. sorcerer on the planet. It's Doom. Retweet. And Kang also be with the shits. Retweet. Always and forever. Um, I would suggest um, Extreme Carnage. Um, I think it's a pretty good, a pretty good run. It's a eight issue run. Um, basically, it's um, Venom spawned five off, uh, five offsprings, and Carnage is basically trying to call all of those motherfuckers home. So, <laughs> uh, you know, Carnage, you know, it's gonna be some shit. But I definitely think it's a, I definitely think it's a good run. So I would suggest it. And it sets up really good for um, the run on Venom that's going to start with uh, uh, who's picking up Venom. His son, right? Yeah, his son picks up, Dylan picks up uh, as the new Venom, but uh, whoever's writing it, uh, whenever they start, I forgot who it is. I feel like it's Al Ewing. But um, whenever they start it, they're really setting up a good like setup for the Venom run. Excellent. Well, and I will say everybody's welcome to read um, Black. I'm sorry, Dark Ages. Um, it's it's basically an X Men and Spider Man book about a future reality where they release an EMP that takes that destroys all the technology on Earth. Um, there's no electricity. It's pretty damn good. The art is really good. Um, yeah. And the big bad is Apocalypse, which I love seeing him being evil. I love him. Um, and um, that's our show. Next week, we have X-Force 24 and X-Men number four. And of course, our lovely Circuit Party Talk will be led by Black Word. And uh, it's been great. Peace and hair grease. Love y'all. All right, love y'all. Yes. Good night. Same Same I love you. Mrs. Creed, that's my name. I love him. Shut up, Henry. Ah. <laughs>